You're listening to the Whenever It Kicks podcast with me, Jessie Cave. In this episode, episode 10, I talk about the rather controversial topic of the cry it out sleeping method. I also have some worries about my career and my work output right now. And I also talk a little bit about the continuum concept and show some love for my mum. Thank you for listening. Hello. Hello. It's me. I'm back. I am on my own. The kids are at school. We survived half term barely, actually. It was it was not the half term I had my high hopes for. As you will know if you listened to the last podcast, I had such high expectations of Legoland and trampolining, swimming, just so many things like fun swimming, not even, you know, just like splashing, lots of splashing, baking, crafts, Beyblade battles, Lego. None of that happened. Legoland did happen. And I did complain about that in the last podcast, but did little did I know that the next day we would be struck by norovirus. Actually, it was the day after. So my mum had the kids for one night. And when I came to collect them in the morning, she told me that 10 had been vomiting since 6am. And he hadn't drunk anything, he hadn't eaten anything. And it's very dangerous for babies to not take in anything. And so by about midday, I thought, okay, this isn't good. So I rang the GP and the GP said, okay, if he doesn't drink anything after he wakes up from his nap, then you need to go into A&E. I thought, well, I'm not going to wait because I'm paranoid. So I just went into A&E. Margot wanted to come with me, which was quite sweet. I didn't think about this. I didn't think maybe they shouldn't be hugging so much. Maybe Donnie and Margot and Ten shouldn't be spending so much time together if Ten is vomiting. I just thought this is a Ten thing. This isn't any, this isn't going to affect us. It's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. And he, and he was fine quite quickly. He started drinking a tiny bit, enough so that we could get sent home. Basically, they make the baby take off the nappy when you get into any. And if it does a wee, the baby then you, you basically, that's a good sign. And if it drinks five mils of diorolite at a time or something, then it, it, then you're, you're basically allowed to go home very quickly. So I was very happy with Ten's ability to wee on cue. My potty training is going well. And um, we were sent home and I thought, okay, that's going to be fine. We can just carry on with our half term now. Don't worry, everybody. But no, 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 no. It was a um, it was a mess from there on in. Donnie got it first, then Margot. We spent the whole of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday basically on a sofa. I got it very quickly after Margot, and I don't think I felt so sick in a long time. This is on the back of fucking coronavirus. It's on the back of constant nausea throughout this entire pregnancy. And obviously I'm not one to complain, but I just thought it would be a bit easier. I just thought it would be a bit easier. This pregnancy has been very humbling. Oh, it was just, it was so funny because I, I did a, an Instagram story of Donnie and Margot on the sofa with their bowls. 
because obviously if you're going to vomit, you don't want your kid to vomit on the sofas. You're going to give them a bowl. I didn't realize that people were quite offended by these bowls, the vomit bowls. But who doesn't do that? Who doesn't have a bowl? What are you going to do if you don't have a bowl? Have a bucket? Don't have any spare buckets. So we did nothing, basically. We went to Legoland, got sick, then did nothing. That was our halftime experience. I didn't even have the energy to do simple things like draw with them or like cook. I, just nothing. It was a complete washout. I felt so drained. And this is just before the next baby. Like what, what, what? I'm, I, oh, we're still sleeping on towels because I'm scared that Ten's going to keep vomiting. And I don't think I've slept properly all week. And I'm at such a low ebb right now. And I'm meant to be kind of building up to being in like full swing of writing and I'm nowhere near. And I just feel like, just feel like it's a bit unfair. Obviously, I know I'm very lucky to be in a position where I can write for a living and that I have children and that, you know, it, I've got opportunities and stuff, but I do feel quite scared all the time now about my career because I'm like, if I don't get enough done right now, what if, what if I never get it done? Because I know how hard it is when you have a newborn. You, I remember when 10 was born, I would write tiny little things down to write in my diary, but then I wouldn't have time to fully write it in my diary. So I just write tiny little bullet points. And then it would be weeks before I could write those bullet points down. And I would get really upset about that thinking, oh, I've just lost all these weeks. I haven't been able to, you know, at least if I'd written something down in my diary, then I would have actually done some form of writing, but I've done, I've done nothing in weeks. And I don't know, I, I tried to let it be and be easier on myself. And at the time I was actually editing Sunset. So it was a bit of a, it was quite disciplined in other ways. But with this pregnancy and the last six weeks basically of being not well, right at the end of the pregnancy, <laughs> um, when I should have been doing my most work, I do feel slightly um, terrified really about the next few months. And that's, that's if everything goes to plan. That's if I have, you know, a baby that just comes out, there's nothing traumatic. We don't have to spend it in the neonatal unit maybe, um, you know, and, and we just have the normal problems of, you know, breastfeeding problems and sleeping problems. But, you know, if we, that's, so it's going to be difficult, whatever the situation, and it could be even worse. I mean, this is a problem. I do catastrophize and you can tell that right now I am catastrophizing but I'm just quite scared about how I'm going to get done, anything done and survive in the next few months. So that's where I'm at right now. Welcome to the podcast. If I had an advert right now, there'd be an advert. I've got quite annoyed by adverts on other people's podcasts. Sorry to bitch. But have you noticed that some people have a few adverts at the beginning of the podcast before they've spoken? Then they have their own advert that they've, they're reading. And then maybe a couple of times in the podcast, they have another advert or two. Sometimes the same advert. Have you noticed that? Does anyone else find that, that, that really weird and slightly gross? That's just me. That's just a little, little, little bitch before I go on to the topic of this podcast, which is... Cry it out, <laughs> which is quite fitting, actually, for how I feel. 
I did have already a cry this morning after they went to school. I basically knew I had nine till three where I can do some work. This was going to be my day. Already slightly, um, slightly difficult start because 10 is still a little bit sick. So I did feel a bit weird about not being with him after he, he's so clingy right now. He's attached to me. It's like he knows that he's not going to be the baby for much longer and he will not let me go. He's sick. He's, he's, he's kind of become primal in his need to be in my armpit the entire time. Angry if he doesn't have a bottle in his mouth. Angry if he's not right on me, pulling up my top. It's almost like he pulls up. Sorry, I just banged the microphone. He pulls up my jumper multiple times a day as if he knows that there's a baby inside me and it's coming to, to get him. And he puts his head on my tummy and it's very sweet. But then sometimes he goes in for a bite. And I just think that's his way of saying, mm, watch out. I'm going to be here, ready. Anyway, I wanted to talk about the cry it out method. Did I finish what I was going to say? Anyway, doesn't matter. Cry it out. This will ring a bell for you if you've already got a baby or if you're thinking about what you're going to do when you have a baby. Or maybe you were a cry it out baby. Maybe you cried and cried and cried. And you sought this podcast out because of the title, Cry It Out, and you wanted to hear someone's opinion on the cry it out method. Now, I'm not going to pretend I know everything about it because I don't, and I am a skim reader. Shh, don't tell anyone I'm a skim reader. That's why I've read 18 books already this year. I skim read them. I mean, you, you, it, like, what is the point? You know, if you know the plot... And you know the way the person writes and you don't really like it. Like, what is the point in sitting there for days and days and days and days? Like, just just get it over with. Anyway, so that's my opinion. Obviously, don't do that if you're reading my book. Read it, you know, very carefully. Pencil, have a pencil in hand. That's what I'm hoping. But it is quite a realisation when you're writing a book, which I am right now, and then you realise, oh, someone out there, many people possibly, are going to skim read this. And they won't even have a pencil as they're reading it. Anyway, doesn't matter. It's just a book. Just a book. That's what I keep remembering. It's just a book. It's just words. Okay? Doesn't matter. Stop putting so much pressure on yourself, all right? Anyway, cry it out. Cry it out method is you put the baby to sleep. You put the baby in the cot, a proper cot. And if the baby wakes up and wants his mummy or daddy or whoever, the baby starts screaming until he gets his way or her way. And then when he or she doesn't get her way, she keeps screaming, keeps screaming, keeps screaming. The parent doesn't come back in. You leave that baby screaming until they pass out crying. That's what I think the cry out method is. Now, is that, is that right? Do you think that's right? I mean, do you think that's the right description? Do you not think that's right morally? That's what I'm going to now talk about. So I don't really think that is right. <laughs> and I have read a little bit. I've read a few articles here and there. I read a really good um, article about a sleep trainer in the New York, the New Yorker, about a very famous woman sleep trainer, trainer who you pay about £500 and she comes over to your house and she essentially, you pay her £500 to leave the baby in the cot and not to come back. 
and the baby cries itself to sleep. And this woman, people pay, she's, she's renowned. People try and book her up. You can't book her up. And then people just copy that and they don't realize, oh, you can just leave a baby in a room and cry. You don't have to pay 500 pounds. I've never paid anyone 500 pounds to train my baby to sleep. And I have never successfully trained a baby to sleep. And I don't know how to get a baby to sleep. And I've got three of them. So I'm not an expert, but all I can say is if you're thinking about how you're going to deal with lack of sleep as a parent, and I did talk about this, you know, a lot in the co-sleeping podcast episode four, whatever it was. Um, I just can't leave them crying. I just can't do it. And I don't know anyone who can really, like when I've spoken to people who have done some kind of sleep training, I always find it really difficult to relate to them. And I can't say that to their face. It's just, I, and it's not that I think they're cruel or they're doing something wrong. I just personally cannot ever leave a baby crying for more than 30 seconds. Apparently you're meant to have a timer of two minutes. And when the baby wakes up and starts crying, you're meant to have the timer go. So you do not go in until it's been two minutes. And in that way, they know that they can't just wake up and immediately get some attention. (laughs) When I hear the baby cry, I sprint. I sprint to that baby. And sometimes they say if it starts crying when I'm cleaning my teeth or something, I I go to the baby cleaning my teeth. I I don't even wait. it's, It's torture hearing a baby cry to me. I just cannot stand it. And I know there's all of these phrases like, you know, you're making a rod for your own back by soothing the baby like this. And I just don't give a shit. I'm like, the baby's crying. The baby needs me. I'm going to go to the baby. And you see their faces when you actually go to them. And they're, and there's like sometimes 10 when I, when I, when he's been crying and I, I, I go in the dark and I find him and he's sitting there and he just looks up at me. Like he knows it's me coming to him in the dark. And he just looks up at me like, there you are. Where have you been? What have you been doing? And even at the age of five, Margot, when I say, okay, look, I'm going downstairs for my dinner now. The baby's asleep. Donnie's here in the bunk bed above you. It's all going to be fine. I'm just going to go downstairs and have my dinner. She said, but when? How long are you going to take to eat your dinner? Like, um, well, I'm going to try. I'll try and eat it quickly. Don't worry. I'll try and be back upstairs as soon as I can, but I'm just going to eat my dinner, maybe watch a little bit of something on TV. And then, no, 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 mommy, don't watch anything on TV. Just eat your dinner and then come to bed. And I said, well, I, then I've got to have a shower. I probably have to, like, you know, I just, I'll, I'll probably be about an hour, okay? And by that time, you should be asleep. You should be fully asleep. You'll be fine, okay? Go to sleep. She said, no, mommy, please just just go downstairs and just maybe bring your dinner up here and just eat it. And then just so we just go to, to bed. I was like, oh my God, I've got taken this too far. Taken this too far. My mum read a book when she was pregnant. My mum is mother of five, amazing mother, was a doctor, um, am- amazing doctor, I think. I mean, what from what I can remember, she stopped being a doctor when my third brother, Ben, was born and was a full-time mum. So she had she worked a little bit with me, stepped down when Ben was born and then was full-time mum before four and five, Jamie and Bibi. And... Um, she just is her, she is a mother in total. There's nothing about her that doesn't, she just, she does, she lives for us. She is truly selfless. Like I don't know anyone else who is as selfless as my mum. And I just, I genuinely am in awe of her every day for her strength and for her discipline. She's incredibly disciplined and 
functional, practical, but she's also got this creative side to her that I think has come out in in ways of mothering. So I think she would have been an artist if she hadn't have been a doctor. She only was a doctor because that's, you know, back then I think that you were either a doctor or a teacher or a lawyer or a, or a mother or a wife and you just, you had to choose one and she chose doctor. Um, but I think actually she would have been an artist. Her mother was an artist, a sculptor and a painter and actually did all types of art. She was an amazing, amazing artist. Kind of ashamedly, I, I look at her art and I, I kind of get so jealous that I can't draw or paint like her. Um, she's dead now, Elizabeth, but um, she was just an incredible artist. And my mum has has done all of my stuff for my shows throughout my career, like always made my backdrops, helped me with my puppets, made the puppets, um, has basically been my stage manager for every show I've ever done, been there every single show almost. Um, anyway, I'm just going on a complete deviation by just saying how much I love my mum. But basically she read this book when she was pregnant called The Continuum Concept. I don't know who it's by, but you can look it up. And she loved this idea. Um, and I, again, I need to look up more about it, but the idea is that the baby is attached to you forever. So you never leave the baby anywhere. You, I mean, obviously you don't leave the baby anywhere, you don't leave it in Tesco, but you just, it's, 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 it should feel like it is attached to you at all times, even when sleeping. So co-sleeping is obviously a huge part of the continuum concept and, the babies grow up happy because they know that they've got the mother there and it means that they have this, the confidence to eventually leave and go and do their own thing and then come back. And the babies are so secure in knowing that they've got that love that they don't feel the need to cry. They don't feel the need to cry. And I think I've accidentally done the continuum concept with my kids and it's really strange because Alfie is so different to me in a lot of ways. We had a very different upbringing. Um, his mom is very different to my mom, and there's pros and cons to both our moms and the way they did things, probably the way we were parented, the way they were parented. Like every parent is different. Um, and I think if Alfie was with a, I don't know, if Alfie was left to fend for himself with the kids, I don't think he would do it quite the same. Having said that, sometimes I catch him sleeping with them and he's so happy in his sleep. And there are moments where I think, I just, I think Alfie's just an amazing father in his own way. And I, there's nothing better than seeing him find his feet as a father. And he's so got his feet, if that is a phrase. Now he's found his feet with 10. And when they are together, they're just so sweet. They adore each other. And whenever I see them ten in, in Alfie's armpit, like my heart like bursts. Anyway, I don't know if Alfie is is on board with the continuum concept, but he's had to he's had to get on board. So when it comes to crying it out, I just can't do it. And I know that it would make life a lot easier in certain ways. Apparently, they cry for three days and then they give up. Doesn't that break your heart hearing? Three days of crying and screaming and then they decide, okay, they're not coming back when I cry, so I might as well just go to sleep. And I do understand the logic. I get it. They've learned to soothe themselves, but they haven't really soothed themselves. They've given up hope. <laughs> 
that's what I think. Anyway, this is going to be a very controversial podcast. I feel quite like worried about it, but it would be it, also, there are articles now, I have read them that suggest that it is quite traumatic to scream for that long and to think that your parent isn't coming back. And I just don't know if I can live with myself with that knowledge. And even if it's like, what am I really sacrificing? So I'm watching Yellow Jackets on Now TV or I'm watching This Is Gonna Hurt on BBC iPlayer, which was very good in the end. I didn't like the ending though, but that's a different podcast topic. Um, I'm watching something on BBC iPlayer. I'm eating my dinner. I, I know that Margaret's expecting me to come up in half an hour and 10 starts crying on the baby monitor, which I can't, I, I need to get a new baby monitor because the baby monitor I can only have in the hall. Um, so I can't actually see the baby monitor anymore. I can only hear it very softly. So I do need to get a new baby monitor. But anyway, I can hear him very distantly on the baby monitor crying. And I, if I can hear him on the baby monitor, it means he's really crying. So I decided, right, do I eat the rest of my dinner or do I go up to him and soothe him and ultimately not really be able to soothe him because he's now up. He wants to get up. Do I sit there in the dark, soothing him and then go down to my cold dinner and the rest of whatever I'm watching on BBC Apple? Or do I sit there, eat my dinner, turn off the baby monitor? I don't need to hear him cry. And not think about my baby upstairs screaming for me. What do, what do I do? Um, and, you know, sometimes I have gone in to soothe him and he has gone back to sleep within a couple of minutes, but I think it's a bit trickier right now because of my bump, so I can't really lower him into the cot smoothly. It's kind of a bit of a drop situation, um, which, again, if you have any tips for, please send them my way. How do you lower a baby into a cot when you've got a huge bump? Because the cot's really low down. Anyway. I know you can get cots with sliding things, but we don't have one of them. We have a snooze, snooze cot. Um, so I just can't do it. So what I do is I, I, I put my dinner down, I pause, I go upstairs, try and soothe him. Usually that doesn't work. Then I bring him downstairs and he finishes watching the show with me. And I cover his eyes when it gets a bit gory. Yellow Jackets is very gory. If, you're, if you don't like blood, don't watch Yellow Jackets, but I do really recommend it. So that's my way of dealing with the uh, not cry it out method. And I'm really sorry if you have done that method and you really believe in it. And I kind of am staggered by your strength to be able to do that and really sympathize with you for having to listen to your baby cry and to know that you're doing something ultimately for the good of the baby because eventually... It doesn't mean the baby will have better sleep and you'll have better sleep and then you'll be a better parent. So I know that I'm probably fucking this up because I'm then tired. I can't get the baby to sleep without me being there. So it means that I'm going to bed with the baby a lot of the time. And then I have to read with my reading light, just kind of like bent over, curled to the wall so that he doesn't get affected by the light. And then I can't really re even read the book. And then I just give up and lie there next to him. And I'm happy that the baby is happy, but ultimately I'm frustrated. So I know that I could make my life a lot easier. And also the reason I'm talking about this is that I have a new baby coming and I'm going to have to do this all over again. And I'm thinking about ways I could do it better. And considering doing cry out and stuff. And I think maybe it's better if you do it younger. I think that's the other thing I've read. If you 
start this thing of putting the baby down, trying to soothe itself earlier on. So I don't know, I think from like four or five months, I don't think you can do it any earlier. Then maybe you are making less of a rod for your own back and the baby doesn't get so distressed because it's just used to always going to sleep alone. There are also, also um, stories of babies who've been in the neonatal unit for a while who've had to have formula and or whatever, but they've got so used to having a routine very early on that they're actually a little bit easier to adapt to the self-soothing thing when they get home. Um, and then there are also... There are also kind of people like, uh, I think she's called Gina Ford. Gina Ford is a, 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 some friends have done her way, which is similar to the cry out thing. You basically don't let the baby ever, ever fall asleep on you. And that from day one, you are into a routine. I just don't know how that would work because from what I know about parenting, there is no semblance of a routine until after eight weeks, at least. So how the hell are you going to get into a routine before that? Like the baby needs to eat constantly. Doesn't sleep for more than a couple of hours. I just don't, who is able to get a baby to sleep from 7am to 7pm from when you get back from hospital? That's amazing. That is amazing. And there's also the thought that maybe some babies are just good. Maybe some babies are good. And some babies are bad. And maybe some babies are just better sleepers from day one. But I just don't, I just, I just don't know. Maybe I've got bad babies um, who, who know that I'm a sucker and will run to them the second they start crying. I remember once when Donnie cried when he was a baby and I'd given up on the idea of a cot. Actually, we didn't even have a cot for Donnie. He was just in the bed. Um, I, and we were in a small flat. I sprinted down the corridor when I heard him cry and I pulled a huge chunk of my hair out because it got trapped in the door handle. I hate door handles. I mean, like I have this fear that something's going to happen to them if I don't run to them instantly, which is my, on me, it's because I'm a catastrophist, as you, as you know. Um, but yeah, I just, I just really just don't think it's the right thing for me. There's another way of sleeping method called, I think it's called the Bamboo. Oh God. <laughs> What's it called? The bum bamboo 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 bamboo. Raccoon. Some kind of fucking animal. And that way is actually a really nice thing. A friend who was having trouble with her baby sleeping basically just said, fuck it. I'm not even gonna try anymore. It can sleep whenever it wants to sleep. On me, near me, wherever, in the cot, whatever. It can sleep whenever it wants. Let it fall asleep whenever it wants. It's not going to have a bedtime. And what is it called? The cocoon method? You can tell me. You can look it up. And um, that way is really nice too. Like it's, I just like that idea. I think that's kind of a similar concept to the continuum thing. So, yeah, I'm more on that side of things to the cry out method. And I don't think I'll be doing the cry out method with this new baby, to be honest. Although right now with 10, so he turned 16 months yesterday. Um, Jesus Christ, what am I going to do? I'm going to have two, like what? How am I going to? Just don't know. He's also, weirdly, and this is probably too much information, 
alongside lifting up my jumper constantly to look at this baby, his rival, um, he, and, and to be honest, it's just the most sweet thing. He's so sweet with my bump. Um, he's also started, I just completely forgot what I was going to say. My brain has gone. It's just gone. Oh yeah. He started being quite fascinated with my boobs. And I think that's because they're bigger. And he's just like, what has happened? Why are these here? What are these for? Why aren't they mine? It's just very clear to see that he's already kind of, he's just sensing something's going on. It's very sweet. Um, I was going to talk a bit about heartburn, but then I realized I've got nothing else to say about heartburn other than that I have heartburn, which I've never had before in any pregnancy. And I have had, I have eaten a tiny bit of red meat. Um, for those of you who know I'm vegan, you know that red meat isn't vegan. Um, and I'm sorry. I know that it's not vegan, but I had to because I'm so physically awful and and pale, very pale. And even though my blood results don't say I'm anemic, I'm very close to anemic. So I think that occasional bits of red meat are probably a good thing. But anyway, I just cannot deal with it. It gives me a huge heartburn. And throughout the norovirus thing, now I've just had this heartburn and it's just horrible. It's just, I feel now just ready. I feel ready to, you know, not feel like this anymore. I'm trying to do as many pelvic floor exercises as possible. Does anyone have the app Squeezy? Squeezy is an app that I find very funny because it's just a ridiculous name, isn't it? Squeezy. In my show Sunrise, um, I did have a little bit about Squeezy, the app. I just think it's it's a it's a shit app because it makes you feel guilty that you're not doing pelvic floor exercises the entire time, and so you can put a a, a timer on. So no, an alert on. So it reminds you throughout the day when you should be doing a pelvic floor exercise exercises. I did this throughout Margot's pregnancy and I gave up with 10 and I haven't, haven't reinstalled it for this pregnancy, but I know it's there in my iCloud. I can know it's somewhere there and I know I should be doing it. So kind of every so often I just kind of start doing my pelvic floor exercises and just kind of feel like I'm rebelling against the squeezy app. You should do the pelvic floor exercises. <laughs> that's the only thing I'll say if you haven't had a baby before and you've never done a pelvic floor exercise. Like surely everyone's done pelvic floor exercises by now, but it does really help with labor. And I don't even do that many. And I think that it really helped the, even just the, the bits that I've done of pelvic floor work. I think that it did really help me. And if you're worried about your vagina changing, which is a constant worry for me, no, it's not. I don't really give a shit, but if, if, if you are worried about your vagina changing through with a natural labor or not natural, like a vaginal labor, obviously, um, it honestly doing pelvic floor exercises does help that a lot. And I don't think it really does change that much. Obviously I've had tiny babies, so, you know, maybe I'm lucky in that regard, but doing what I try and do is whenever I'm cleaning my teeth or I'm reading them a bedtime story, which is actually a bit gross. I shouldn't admit that. <laughs> Whenever I, at night, I do my pelvic floor exercises and when I'm cleaning my teeth and I try and do 50 each time. That's enough, right? That's enough. 
The last thing I'm going to talk about today. Wow, this has been a long podcast. This is definite procrastination on my part. The last thing I'm going to talk about is a book that I just finished um, last night called Night Bitch by Rachel Yoda. It's very good. It's like, I'm just going to have a little bit of a, uh, a rant about it. I'm sorry, another rant. If I had read this book when I was 25 and I was considering becoming a mother, I would have put off becoming a mother because of this book. And I know that's probably not what she wanted, Rachel Yoda, from this book, but it's just so negative about motherhood and creativity. And as a mother who is creative and trying to be creative despite pregnancy and motherhood, um, and like I just find it incredibly insulting. Um, the, the essential premise is that this mother turns into a dog out of rage because her husband is away a lot and she doesn't have any time for her, her own art and her own creative projects because she's looking after her two-year-old boy the entire time who wants her to play and become a dog. And so she suddenly turns into a dog and she lets go of that need to be a working woman and the shame of not being a working woman. And she just, she just lets herself be this, this dog with a boy and has to hide that from her husband. And the end is interesting. She kind of basically admits that she's a dog to her husband some of the time and she does a good art project about it is the, the general gist. Anyway, there's huge parts of the book which are rants about uh, like just anger towards men about how they don't have this need to be home and they can just leave and they why are their jobs classified as work when motherhood isn't classified as work and I completely agree with that like I do think the onus is mainly on women when it comes to active parenting I still think that we take that on way more we take that load on way more than men do even if it's um psychological we take on a lot of it physically and psychologically sorry psychologically um that's my heartburn sorry by the way in the last podcast Alfie had to edit out such a huge stomach rumble that he he didn't believe me I said no you have to edit that out because it's just too embarrassing he was like I'm not gonna do that I'm not gonna edit this whole stuff like it's ridiculous it takes me so much longer I was like no honestly you have to and he was like, no, I won't. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. But then he listened and he was like, okay, I've never heard a stomach rumble that loud. We need to edit that out. So thank you, Alfie. Anyway, you don't have to edit that out. I don't mind. That was just a heartburn thing. Anyway, I just would like to have a book out there that isn't so damning of women's creativity as a mother. I mean, I know that you don't have as much time and I know that you, you're tired a lot of the time and, and it's it's hard to be this, the person you were before you were a mother, you do change, but I don't know. It just upsets me that there's not more stories out there that are really optimistic about how you evolve in a different way creatively. And you still have the sense of yourself. Like I do look at my old sketchbooks now and I think, okay, I won't do doodles like that ever again because I'm not in that place, but that's still me. That's still me. And I'm still her. And the work I create now will just be a little bit different or skew different. And also it's not forever. Like I know that I'm going to have me back whenever I, you know, I'm not pregnant or don't have a baby or a toddler or like 
Margot and Donnie are at school and they have their own lives and they so need me daily, but they also, they're not obsessed with me in the same way that 10 is, you know, like I'm going to have some time eventually to do all, fill all the sketchbooks I want to fill. And the time that I'm not able to write constantly right now or create constantly, I, I still consider work. I'm, I'm building up my ideas and they're storing themselves in my head. They're growing alongside this new baby inside me. And, um, so I did really enjoy Night Bitch, but I just think I won't let BB read it. <laughs> just because if my sister read it, I think that she would be quite put off having a baby. And I I want her to have a baby. She won't have a baby for a while, but, you know, I'd be really interested to see what other mothers think about this book. It's already got optioned, you know, it's already got, it's already going to star Amy Adams as Night Bitch. She's called Night Bitch, the she calls herself Night Bitch. She's never, we never get, get her name. She's either the mother or Night Bitch. Um, so I'm not damning the book by giving my review right now. It's already doing pretty fucking well. So don't worry about that. I just think it would be interesting to know what other mothers felt about it. Because I'm sure there are loads of mothers who felt that actually having a baby improved everything about their creativity. Um, Maybe I'm not alone. I'm not saying also that it's been easy. <laughs> um, anyway, that's just my my signing off message is that it's going to be okay. You can still do things. You can still create. And if you want to leave your baby crying, that's okay too. That's your decision. And I salute you. But also the baby won't be crying forever. Like the time where it needs you in those hours in the night is very short, you know, like enjoy them. That's what I think. So even though it's hard and you're, you're having to have so much disruptive sleep, you know, the baby needs you and it's still so amazing when you do go to pick the baby up and it just immediately relaxes in your arms and knows that it's home. And I just think that's a couple of years, you know, like just enjoy that time. Um. Anyway, I'm sorry if this has been quite a controversial podcast today. Wow. This is my longest one yet. I'm sorry if I bored you. Thank you for listening. And I am going to be talking about a few things in the next podcast, obviously. I'm going to talk about what to take to the hospital in a hospital bag. And the novelty of being able to plan a baby. Um, okay, lots of love. Bye.